First Timothy chapter one, verse five says something very powerful. It says the goal of our instruction, the goal of our instruction is that we, we would love from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so the goal of everything we do is that, that we would love that way. To love that way, here's what you need to know. There are two things that you have to have in place in your heart and life, and it's a practice of who you are. The first is this, you've gotta be transparent. Uh, If you're not transparent, if you're not open, you're not honest, you're never gonna have a great relationship or relationships. The second is you gotta be able to communicate love in an effective way. So today I wanna talk to you about both those things. We're gonna talk about the power of transparency and we're gonna talk about how you communicate love in a very effective way. And I'm gonna give you five ways, many of you already know them, but I'm gonna go back to the five ways that you can really show love in a very powerful and effective way. So let's think about that together. Let's start with the idea of transparency. See, many families have lived their lives afraid of being authentic and transparent. And what they want to do is they want you to always pretend everything's okay. They want you to always pretend that everything's wonderful. They want you to pretend that you're not struggling with anything. There's no pain. There's no agony. Uh, there's no failings in your life. You know what? Uh, Sometimes it used to be called the skeletons in the closet. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The skeleton. And so you kept that hidden so no one knew that was true of you. And I want to tell you, you can't have authentic relationships when you're faking it. Everyone here goes, well, that makes sense. But you and I need to be people who don't do that. It's interesting to me. One time I was at a staff elder retreat right after... I had become the senior pastor of Christ Church of the Valley. And I'm at the staff elder retreat, and we're sitting around tables together. And the person leading the retreat said this. He said, I want you to uh, share what's the hardest part of your job, which is kind of interesting because obviously I'm one of the few pastors in the room, and I basically work for all the other people in the room. Uh, And so I thought, well, what am I going to say? And so each of the people began to share the hardest part of their jobs. Some were teachers, some were professors, some were attorneys. uh, And they all began to share about the frustrations they would experience on a fairly daily basis. And then it came to a woman named Lynn Murray. And Lynn, who's a dear friend, been a friend for a long, long time, she said, hey, before I go, Chuck, I'm going to tell you what's the hardest part of your job. And I thought, okay, Lynn, what's the hardest part of my job? And then she said it. She said, you can't have a bad day. And I was like, wow. I would not have thought of that. I would not have said that, but it could not be more true. In the vast majority of per- churches, everybody expects the pastor to be perfect. He's got to be perfect. He's always got to be on. He's never got to be sad. He's always got to be faith-filled. He can't have a problem in his family. The churches expect most pastors to fake it. Because let me tell you, pastors aren't perfect. I know everybody here knows that, but we're not. We're human. We mess up. And I do have bad days. And the elders of CCV said this to me, Chuck, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to be honest about your pain. 
It's okay to be able to share the times that you're not doing well. We want that for you. We think you'll be better. It would not be too long after that that I would meet with the elders. And I said, guys, I've got something really hard to tell you. It's the worst thing that could have ever happened in my life. My uh, oldest son doesn't believe in God anymore. And uh, I said, if you want, I'll resign. And all the elders said, no way. Because you know what? You're struggling like a lot of other people. It's going to make you a better pastor. And they were a group of people who said, go out there and be authentic. Go out there and be transparent. And don't ever back away from that. By the way, Jesus loved with that same bold transparency. Jesus stood up and shared about the times it was difficult and hard. And sometimes we don't realize that's who Jesus was. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 26. It says this, then Jesus went with them. This is the apostles. This is right before he's going to die to a garden called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into, notice this, an agonizing sorrow. He plunged into an agonizing sorrow. This is Jesus. And then Jesus said this. Jesus said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Jesus got very honest. He got completely transparent. And he said, the sorrow is crushing my life out. You see, you can't have a great relationship with anyone if you're not willing to tell them honestly how you feel, honestly what you're going through, the joys you have, the victories you have, and in a very equal and real way, the pain you're in and the suffering you feel. Uh, There was a leader that I respected probably a If I had to name the five people I respected most back then, I would have put him on the list. And uh, he shared something one time that I'll never forget. He said his 11-year-old son got extremely emotional and started displaying this this emotion, this sadness, this, this ache inside in a very outward way. And he found himself getting more irritated and more irritated. And he was this close. He was this close to looking at his 11-year-old son and saying, come on, be a man. And he bit his tongue. Good he did. And he stood there. And then when in the midst of that kind of the settling moment came, he looked at his 11-year-old and said this. When I was your age, I wasn't allowed to show emotions like that. And uh, his son looked up at him and said, Dad, if that was true for me, I think I would die. I think it would kill me. And this man said this. I realized in that moment it did kill me. It killed me that my family wouldn't let me have emotion. It killed me they wouldn't let me to be honest about how I was feeling. By the way, let me tell you this. I'm not going to name the person. But that man ended up going down in failure. And I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt the reason this great, great leader failed is because he was not able to emotionally develop the way God wanted him to. And all of the failure he experienced had to do with his inability to have relationships with the people around him. 
And so he ended up going down in a horrible way. God doesn't want that for you. God wants you to be transparent. God wants you to be open. God wants you to succeed. So whoever you're in a relationship with, I'm going to ask this. Are you able to be you? Are you able to be a person who celebrates the victories and the joys and have people join with you? And the next one would be this. Are you able uh, to be able to be honest about the times you're not doing well? The times you come up short. Because it's interesting in Ecclesiastes, it says that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And then the next line says this, when one falls, the other lifts them up. And you know what I want to tell you? There's not a person in this room, there's not a point you're going to fall. Or not, won't, that you won't fall. Everybody here is going to have a fall. The question is, are we going to rally around you and lift you up and saying, me too? Me too. And you know what? God wants you to do that. Without that, you can't be a pro. You can't be great at relationships. So Jesus calls for us to be that way. And he wants us to be people who can win at relationships because number one, we're transparent and honest. Now, number two, he wants us to win at relationships because we're great at effectively sharing love with people around us. And I'm going to give you, again, five ways, many of you already know them, of how you and I can share love that way. But too often, way too often, we rationalize ourselves away from doing that. Maybe we feel embarrassed to say it. Uh, maybe we're not sure how to get it out. Maybe it just feels too hard and too awkward. But let me tell you this. When I've had people in my life that it's kind of awkward when they try to tell me something loving, I think it might mean more to me sometimes. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Where you could tell they're having a hard time saying it and you look at them going, dude, you really do care. You really do. And all of a sudden that moment becomes even more meaningful. And Jesus wants you to understand that, that it's worth taking the risk. It's worth taking the risk to be transparent. And it's worth taking the risk to step out and show love in one of these five ways to people, the way that God wants you to. And Jesus showed his love and we're to follow his example. In Ephesians chapter five, it says this, therefore be, and notice this, imitators of God. As beloved children. Now, how do you do that? And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a, say, a fragrant aroma. <clears throat> when Jesus came, he came to put on display God's love for you. And, and he did it in a way that was bold and outward and effective and meaningful. And you and I need to spread that same love in that same bold way. See, the question is this. Do you know God's love? And I hope you do. If not, God wants you to know his love in a very real way. The next question is this. When God pours his love upon you, are you a reservoir that holds it in? Or are you a conduit that spreads it out? And you know what God wants you to be? The conduit. Romans chapter five says this about it. It says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God says this, I don't just give you love. I pour it upon you. And then he says, I want you to let it go flowing out to others. People ought to know God's a loving God in big part because you're spreading the love of God. You're taking it and bringing it out to others. And God wants you to understand that and live that out in a very real way. 
So what are those five practical ways that you and I can show love? Well, they're called the love languages. How many people already know the love languages? I want to see. Okay, I love that because over the years, it's been growing in popularity and praise God it has. Gary Chapman is the person who really formulized the five love languages. Now, they were always there before. By the way, they're, they're in the Bible all over the place. We're to show God love according to the five love languages if you understand them. By the way, we're to show others the love by the five love languages. You're to be loved according to those five love languages. And the idea behind it is this, that while there are five love languages that are out there, you and I, you and I probably have one or two that are the one or two most meaningful of the five to us. So that's, that's what you want to know. Then the people in your life, Probably one or two are the most meaningful ways to show love to them. And we're all different. And we all have different ways that we just kind of have our lives fueled with this amazing love that God gives to each one of us. Let me tell you, though, something I don't want you to misunderstand. While one or two of the languages may be yours, all five are needed. Let me say that very clearly. Because a lot of people act like, no, 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 no. Okay, I know you're one or two. I have one or two. The others don't matter. No, all five matter. So let me say that again. All five matter. And by the way, to God, all five matter when you do that to him. So while one or two are more yours than others, you want to have all five not only shown to you, you want to show those to others in different ways in different times. So if you're wondering, what's my love language? If you go to crossroadschurch.family, crossroadschurch.family, we've got the test there for you to take. It's free. Just go there, click on it, and take it, and then share with other people in your life what your love languages are, and then have them share that with you. And we want you to do that. But again, I want to go back to this. We all need all five. So what are the five love languages? Number one, number one, words of affirmation. You need to come out and say it. You need to come out and say it. Uh, in Ephesians 4 verse 15, it says this, but speaking the truth in love. You gotta actually say it. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So you need to be willing to tell people in very clear ways that you love them, that they matter to you. I want you to think about how a lot of romantic relationships grow. You remember the moment you started liking somebody? Maybe you were in third grade, fourth grade. Some of you were like second graders and we were like, whoa, you started early. <laughs> and do you remember the first words you said? I like you. I like you. Do you like me? And so you define the relationship. It could have been in junior high, high school, but almost always starts out with I like you. Then you hit that moment, that, that second that one of the two of you takes the risk and looks and says the words, I love you. And you look at them wondering, are they going to smile or are they going to run? By the way, some people run, don't they? Some people are like, whoa, too fast, too quick, too heavy. But you know what? When you say those words, I love you, you're, you're waiting for something big to occur in the relationship. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but um, every time I talk to my wife, Pam, I always, I always end the conversation with, hey, I love you or love you. 
Uh, and I don't talk to a whole lot of other people on the phone. I mainly text uh, uh, communications to other people. But every now and then, I'm going to talk to someone else on the phone. And I can tell you this, that because it's so ha- much a habit for me to say that to Pam, one day I was talking to Tim Roberts, and I said, well, hey, Tim, love you. And I'm like, oh! freaking out, like, oh, my gosh. And he's like, okay, and hangs up. <laughs> In a blended family, you're waiting for those words. The vast majority of blended families struggle. And if you are a blended family that's never struggled, praise God for you. But the majority who come together in a blended family, it's very difficult to merge the relationships, to come to grips with the priorities, because now they've changed. But if you're a blended family, family, parent, you're looking for that moment to occur when the the kids finally think they they love both parents. I remember a mom telling me, man, she struggled and struggled and struggled with the junior high daughter that she now was trying to care for, who was her stepdaughter. It was a battle. She couldn't tell me the number of times she heard these words, you're not my mom, you're not my mom. She said, but one day I'll never forget it. I'll never forget, I was sitting there and she looked at me and said, Mom, I love you. And Mom, I love you. And then that year on Mother's Day, her junior high daughter gave her a Mother's Day present, telling her she was her mom. That was big. Saying those words, getting it out, making that difference, that was really, really big. But let me say this, when the words are absent, when the words are not there, it hurts the relationship and creates a void that God doesn't want. Um, We can't show you the clip because of online uh, uh, policies that are out there, but if I could, I would show you a clip from a movie called Eight Seconds. It's an older movie starring Luke Perry, but it's the true story of Lane Frost who was a, a champion bull rider. A very real story. And he ended up soaring to the top of the rodeo game. He became one of the best bull riders ever. And the idea, again, in bull riding is you got to stay on for eight seconds, right? And he rode a bull. He rode a bull that was one that very few people could ride called taking care of business. And in the midst of this championship moment, he rode that bull for eight seconds. He flew off, hit the ground, raises his hands in the air, and the bull circles around and gores him. And he goes down and he dies very quickly. In the movie, there's a scene from the funeral. And then it transitions from the funeral to his father sitting in a dark living room. And uh, his mom, the wife of his father, says, what are you thinking? And I'll never forget it because he sits there and he goes, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember. I mean, I know I told him that I was proud of him. I know I told him that he had done a good job but I can't remember a single time that I told him I loved him. Think about that. I can't remember a single time. Please don't let that be true of you. 
Please don't let that be you. Uh, that's too many people. Um, when I was again at Christ Church of the Valley, a man who was a grandfather and very successful in his job made an incredible amount of money, more than he ever thought he would make in his whole life, uh, was standing with me one time after I talked about this very subject. And I'll never forget, he said, Chuck, I want to tell you something. My dad never told me he loved me. He'd tell me when I was wrong. He'd tell me when I messed up, but he never told me he loved me. And he said, to this day, that hurts. He said, so I'm committed that I will always tell my children and my grandchildren I love them. And he said, I praise God for this. And he held up his cell phone because now I can drive my grandchildren crazy every day more than once. I'm texting them. This is grandpa. I love you. I love you. I love you. He said, I'm never going to let them not know that. You need to make that same commitment. You need to be willing to take that same risk. And you need to show love in that same way. So number one is words of affirmation. Number two is touch. Physical touch. Uh, a showing affection in a physical way. And we need to be willing to do that. Jesus was that way. Uh, there's a movie, if you've not seen it, called Risen. I, I think it's a great one. If you're wondering what to watch, watch the movie Risen. Uh, and in it, it's the story of a, a Roman uh, officer who's called Clavius. And he actually watched Jesus die on the cross. And then he gets word that he's risen from the dead. And he's told that by Pontius Pilate to go and investigate it. It's it's really an incredible movie. And over the course of time, I don't want to ruin it for you, uh, he begins to discover that Jesus is risen. He sees the risen Jesus. And he's in a setting where all of a sudden a commotion breaks out and a leper has walked in to try to get food and people see him and they're throwing rocks at him and chasing him away. And, and he's running and running and Jesus, who's risen from the dead, jumps up, runs out to the leper and the leper turns and he looks horrible. And what does Jesus do? What, what did Jesus always do to lepers? Anybody know? He touched them. He could have healed him without touching them. Why, why would he touch him? You already know the answer. I know you know the answer. Why would he touch him? Because they needed the touch more than the healing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. So in the movie, he actually takes the man and hugs him before he heals him, and then he heals him. You know, I want to tell you something. You were created by God to thrive when you experience physical touch in an affectionate way. All the people around you, it would be the same thing. That's why we see in Mark chapter 10, verse 16, something very interesting. This is Jesus. Then he, Jesus, took the children into his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Did you catch that? He took the children in his arms and placed his hands on his head and blessed them. Do you remember what Peter tried to do? Peter tried to chase the children off. Get out of here. And the Lord said, no, no, for such is the kingdom of God. And he would pick them up and hold them. You see, what I want you to know is that we need to be able to do the same thing. Uh, when you, again, are in a world that God wants you to experience, you know what it's like to have physical affection in a, in a powerful, positive way. But the absence of hugs and physical touch is harmful to us. We know today that one of the highest populations 
where suicide takes place, if you didn't know this, you ready? Is amongst our elderly. It is skyrocketing amongst the next generation. But amongst the elderly, it's far higher. Why? One of the biggest reasons is because as you get older, you have less people touching you. You have less people hugging you. Less people being near you that way. And that absence of touch takes its toll. During COVID, when we isolated our next generation, we saw anxiety and depression become epidemic. And it is true that 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 was more dangerous to them and more harmful to them than COVID was. You and I need to know that you're created by God so that you could express love in tangible ways that people could feel. And by the way, according to research, a hug may make an individual happy by reducing feelings of loneliness and harmful effects of stress. Hugs can change negative moods by helping the body and the brain, boosting the feel-good hormones. One of those is dopamine. It's the pleasure hormone that makes you individual feel good, and it's activated when there's a hug or a touch that's done in a meaningful way. Serotonin is an antidepressant. Uh, that elevates mood and controls anxiety and reduces feelings of loneliness. Oxytocin is a love hormone that relieves stress and boosts heart health. And it also helps in losing weight, lowers blood pressure, fights disease, increases the libido, reduces stress, and gives us a feeling of comfort. By the way, Pam, if you're watching, if you want me to lose weight, hug me more. (laughs) We'll try it. A 10-second hug helps the body fight infections and eases depression and lessens tiredness. A 20-second hug reduces the harmful effects of stress, relieves blood pressure, and ensures a healthy heart. Increasing the hug ratio results in reduced blood pressure, decreased cortisol, improved healing, reduced cravings, and better immunity. And by the way, for all the moms, you already know this, hugging a newborn child increases the baby's weight, and it produces its overall development. See, God created us for that. God created us to experience that. When I was uh, at, at Hope University, I was taking a psychology class, and in the psychology class, the professor said, I want everybody here to do an experiment where people become shocked, and I want you to record the result. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do? And then I was walking towards the dining hall, and I saw this friend of mine who we went to high school together. He was a football player, and he was also a champion wrestler, big, big guy. And I thought, I know what I'll do. So I walked over, and I called his name, and he turned and looked at me. And before he could do anything, I threw my arms around him and hugged him to see, uh, hopefully, the shock on his face, because I wasn't that way. So I hug him. This big old guy reacts by grabbing me and hugging me and pulling me tight and won't let me go. And he looked at me and said, dude, I like the new Chuck. And uh, yeah. And it kind of was a breakthrough moment for me, believe it or not. Where I, I found myself more open to expressing affection and more open to receiving it. I was one of those guys when the church had a greeting time, I knew when it was coming and I'd sneak out. And I quit doing that. 
And uh, there's something powerful about it. So we need to understand there are three ways we've seen so far that we show affection, words of affirmation, touch. And then we get number three, acts of service. Acts of service. Proverbs 19.22 says this. It says, what is desirable in this man is his kindness. Is this kindness. So these acts of kindness, these acts of service is what God wants you to do. How can you show kindness to others? By the way, don't miss how powerful this verse is. What is desirable? In other words, what makes people want to be around you? What makes people like being around you is when you're kind. And especially when you show those acts of kindness in very, very outward ways. And so we need to be that way. I'm not sure I can speak for every mom in the room, but I'm, so I'm going to ask the question. Are there a lot of you moms who maybe before you had children, acts of service and acts of kindness might not have been your top love language, but after you slaved all day long with the kids, that became one of your love languages. All right, we got some moms who'd say that. Who, you know what you cherish? You cherish when your husband comes home from his long day and he walks in the house and says, honey, you take some me time, I've got the kids. Are there some moms here who would love that? Yeah. Yeah, guys, some of you are going, no, I can't believe I came to church to hear that one. (laughs) But you know what? Whenever you can do that for anybody, it becomes incredibly meaningful. By the way, an acts of service and kindness sometimes is just opening the door for somebody. Have you ever noticed how, has anybody ever just recently done that? Someone's coming, you stopped and opened the door for them and you see them light up. It's so easy but it's so meaningful. Just spreading love like that, being that conduit that the love of God comes through, looking for opportunities, looking for ways so that you can show love in that same bold way. So we need to show acts of kindness. So words of affirmation, touch, acts of service, and then number four, quality time. That's my wife's number one love language is quality time. She loves that more than uh, any of them. Just that we could be together and talk to each other and share time together. And Jesus loves it when you do that with him. In John chapter 8 verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. If you continue in my word. Then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the, the truth and the truth will make you free. By the way, I think love in and of itself frees us, frees us from faking it, frees us from inauthenticity. It frees us to go out and love in bold ways. And Jesus said, I want to tell you something. If you continue in my word, if you spend time with me in quality ways, he said, then you really are mine. You really are mine. And he wants us to be that way. He wants us to have time with him. Uh, There's a a saying that I, I, I came to, and I believe it's true. That God has nothing better to do than spend time with you. Now, by the way, God is God. If anyone's busy, God's busy, right? But God never, ever says, I'm going to put you on hold. I'll catch you later. I've got somebody else. God always wants to be with you. And he wants you to have that same love and care for others. So that in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But by the way, to do that, you've got to be with them. You need to be in their presence. You need to give them 
your attention. You need to spend quality time with them. And that's what God wants you to do. Um, I remember one time, I was a next-gen pastor at Christ Church of the Valley. And uh, while our numbers were soaring, and uh, by the way, a revival was happening, spiritual warfare occurred. And uh, I was being attacked, attacked, attacked. Again, those elders who I told you about, they stood with me. But it still hurt. A lot of the things that were being said about me weren't true, and I knew it. And I remember in the midst of it, it was, it was getting really hard. And after a particularly really, really bad day, I'm uh, sitting in our house with Pam and the boys. Pam knew it was coming. I didn't. There was a knock at the door, and I opened it. There was a group of college girls there. And they said, Chuck, we're going to kidnap you. And they did. Pam said, go. So I go out with these amazing girls, and here's what they did. They took me to a place where they could sit with me. And they said, you have been used by God to change our lives. And we're gonna go around and tell each one of us our own story, our favorite story of being with you. Are you ready for this? There were probably about 15, 20, and they all went around the room. And man, I am just getting super emotional. They're getting emotional. And they talked about life-changing things that happened and how God used me in their lives. Not one mentioned a sermon I taught. Not one. They all mentioned moments where I sat with them in their time of need and gave them quality time. And that's what changed them. Yeah. You need to make sure you're giving quality, quality time to people. And then number five on the list is gifts. Words of affirmation, touch, access, service, quality time, the gifts. You, you need to give gifts. And by the way, there's an old saying that's a true saying. It's the thought that counts, right? So not only, it's not a gift, it's the right gift at the right time that's meaningful to the person you're giving it to. And so you and I need to understand that. It might be a small gift that has incredible meaning. It might be a big gift that's extravagant and wants to show the love in an incredible way. But I want you to know the most extravagant gift ever given was given by God for you. And that was Jesus Christ came and gave his life for you because he loved you and cared about you and wants you to know that. There's a reason this may be the favorite verse in the Bible for most people. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but would have everlasting life. What I want to tell you is while you may not be aware of it, no one loves you more than God. No one cares about you more than God. No one is for you more than God. And no one has always been willing to take you from where you are to the most amazing place you could be than God. And today, if you're not in a relationship with the one who loves you like that, then what you're not experiencing is his love being poured out into your heart. But the minute you open up, the minute you commit your life to him, the minute you go and say these words to God, I do love you. I know you love me and I love you. The minute you're willing to do that, what happens? God begins to take you and care for you and pour love into you. Maybe there's pain in you that keeps you from loving. Maybe there's hurt and wounds that are there that have stopped you from really being able to love with the kind of depth that you need to. God wants you to be able to do that. 
So right now, I want to say this, whether you're here or online or on the patio, are you in a love relationship with God where you know his love in a very real way? And if not, all you need to do, you're a prayer away from experiencing his love. So I'm going to ask you right now, if that's you, would you be willing in this moment to pray a prayer with me here, online, or on the patio? Would you be willing to pray this prayer? and say yes to God and open up to him. And if you are, I'm gonna ask you to do that right now. But let me pray for you before we ask you to pray this prayer. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I pray for anybody right now who, Lord, maybe they've not known love. Maybe they don't feel loved. Maybe they don't feel special. I pray, oh God, that right now they would open their hearts to you and allow your love to come upon them and in them. I'm hoping right now some of you are opening up to the Lord. I'm hoping you are. All of you who love the Lord, pray for people to say yes to him. Is God calling anybody? Is God touching you? If so, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me and then I'm going to ask you to do something after that. But let's start with the prayer. If you're ready to say yes to God, pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. And I pray that you'll free me from anything or anyone that's holding me back or holding me down. But most of all, say most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive and I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes. I say yes to you and I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. Amen if you prayed that prayer. And if you prayed that prayer and you're online, I'm going to ask you to do this. Text amen to 77247. If you're online right now, text amen to 77247. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. We're live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.